the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, we have our second interview with Father Robert Sirico. Can't wait. I know. I've been so thrilled about this, Ron. We've, I've been, 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 uh, thinking about this and pondering this stuff. I've got notes all around my desk. I've got books all around my desk. Um, and I'm not going to get to half of the things I want to talk to him about. Well, let me just welcome him to the show. Uh, Father Robert Sirico is the president of the Acton Institute. He lectures at colleges, universities, and business organizations throughout the United States and abroad. His writings on religious, political, economic, and social matters are published in a variety of places, including the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, among others. He is the author of Defending the Free Market, The Moral Case for a Free Economy, which is one of my favorite books all time. And he's also a parish priest in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Father. Great being with you. Thanks, Ed. Good to, good to be back. And happy St. Patrick's Day, which unlike St. Valentine's Day, hasn't lost the saint part. Oh, give them time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just because Happy Patrick's Day seems really weird, but sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> so, has the uh, the bishop in Grand Rapids given you the dispensation to eat um, uh, corned beef and cabbage? <laughs> I today? posted on on uh, my Facebook uh, today. I said I've been getting calls from these allegedly um, uh, people of Irish ancestry asking for dispensation uh, to eat meat uh-huh. on this Friday in Lent. And I said, now, as an Italian, and the bishop has encouraged us to be generous with this dispensation, because you can't give it generally. You have to just give it as people uh, right. call. So I said, now, as an Italian-American, I have decided not to do that. I am not giving a dispensation. Instead, everyone who calls, I'm imposing a Lenten penance, and that is you have to eat corned beef today. Ah, see, I like the way you twisted that. That was good. That's good. Well, down here in Dallas, which is the first time this has happened, we have a new bishop, and he did give the dispensation. And Uh but you you know you do have to shift the day. You have to go to either yesterday or Saturday. Or I thought this was really interesting. There was a third choice, which was to say a decade of the rosary, which I thought was pretty 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 easy. Is that all? (laughs) Yeah, that's all. I was like, wow. Oh, goodness. Well, (laughs) anyway, uh, at at the end of our last show, I don't know if you remember this, but we sort of joked about you hearing my confession, and we said that, unfortunately, Skype was not an option. (laughs) 
but um, <laughs> but but I do at, at this this segment of the show will be a, a confession of sorts in that I'm 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 almost asking you for some 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 advice and counsel on things that that I see in the landscape here and. Uh, but anyway, so I'll start with, you know, bless me, Father Fry, it's been two years and eight and four months since you've been on the show. So <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly the uh, October 17th. Um, but oh, by the way, I did go to Australia recently, and th- this is the first thing I want to talk to you about. So I and I didn't realize this until since I was on the plane, I was leaving February 28th and I arrived March 2nd. So I did not have an Ash Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is why we have purgatory. Yes. <laughs> to solve questions then, like this. <laughs> right, exactly. And then I get and then I get there and I'm so out of it and I'm with a very a Catholic couple who they they've run a they run a software company, Father, that that specializes in cemeteries, including Catholic cemeteries here in the US. And we're we're at this restaurant and 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 I'm not realizing it, but we're eating meat on Friday and they and I and I suddenly, you know, I got shocked into the day and said I'm surprised. I said, "Well, no. In Australia, they only—it's uh, right. only Ash Wednesday and Good Friday." Because I guess you the know, diet of Australia doesn't make—it doesn't really make it a penance, right? That happened to me in in England too. I was very surprised when I found that out. So uh, there you have it. Yeah, there I, you have it. There you have it. I can't <laughs> believe it's been that long since uh, I've been on the show, and the the book had just come out then. And I'm sitting here right now. As a matter of fact, I'm just finishing. A new chapter for the Italian edition of the book, taking wow. into account the um, the election of Pope Francis, and um, writing it uh, in a more Catholic tone because the book itself is you know across the board ecumenical. Uh, sure. But for an Italian audience, uh, I thought it would be good to kind of take account of the Pope and write as a Catholic. So it's yep. going to be interesting. It'll be out in the spring. Outstanding, and and that's exactly where, what I want to ask you uh, for, first on this is I see based on your your the banner on your Twitter page that you you met with the Holy Father. How did how did that go? Well, <laughs> I said um, the first thing I said to him in Italian. I said, you know, we're both Italian Americans, and he looked at me <laughs> and he didn't quite understand what I said. I said, well, I'm born in the United States, and you're born in America too. And then he kind of laughed, and I gave him. Uh, uh, Poverty Inc., which is the documentary, maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that, that really yes. kind of examines what is best for the developing world. Is it aid, which is in the news now with the budget cuts and the aid uh, uh, bureaucracy, or is it trade? What raises the standards of the poor? So I encouraged him to view that. Um, I have seen no evidence that he's viewed it. I do know that <laughs> two, two other bishops gave it to him because they, they one of them, well, they both knew him and they were going mm-hmm. to meet with him and they both handed him the, the same thing. But I've seen no evidence that he sat down and, and watched them. I really didn't expect him to, but I'd, I'd hope that somebody would have watched them and kind of said, you know, maybe you need to see a segment or two of this. Yeah, no, I think that'd be be great, and and that's the, just as a follow on to that. We talked briefly when we were on the show last uh, about the Holy Father and his views on capitalism. And I'm just wondering: is in the two two years and four months since you've been on, do you think it's still it's too simplistic to excuse his thoughts on capitalism? By being just due to his what is that German word uh, Weltanschauung, his worldview that capitalism equals cronyism, is that still too simplistic to to, um, to think, or is that a valid the way to think about it? I see uh, is that 
that is his default position. And, um, you know, just the way he speaks about it. But then what confuses me, at every now and then what surfaces is a statement like, um, people shouldn't become dependent on the welfare state. We need businesses to provide jobs and goods and services for people. And globalization has really helped many to rise out of poverty. These are things that he's also said. So it shows that mm-hmm. he's not, you know... I, I think it is... In, in, in it's really kind of what I'm grappling with in this um, introduction. Um, I think there is a rhetorical and aesthetic distaste for profit-making and individual initiative and, and all of these kinds of elements that go into a free market. And if his uh, cultural uh, DNA uh, is that... Then I think we need to at least be honest enough to say maybe maybe our cultural DNA growing up in the United States is somewhere on the opposite extreme of that, and maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle, not as a compromise of principle, but to say, you know, there is a more social dimension to the market than a lot of American free market advocates emphasize. Mm-hmm. So the, the Europeans speak of a, a social market. Of course, in my mind, what other kind of market would there be? It has to be social. <laughs> it's the nature of a market. Sure. Um, but I think they're trying to smuggle in something else. <laughs> you know, a socialist market is really what they're trying to say, I think, very often. But I, I think, you know, we need to kind of look at the language we use and not use the same words in the same way when we're speaking to people on the other part of the, uh, the other side of the divide. Yeah, I think so. And, and that's, it, it's cause it's, it's always confounded me a little bit. Um, and I don't know if you saw this cause it was, it was twa- tagged in our, our Twitter feed that you were going to be on the show. And there was one person who responded and I'm not going to grace his with, with giving his name because he, he says he was talking about you and he says, since he propagates views opposite to decades of established Catholic social teaching, he ought to be excommunicated. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> well, uh, and then, read- but, but, I hope he reads this. Well, maybe he doesn't read Italian, but uh, I, I kind of take up that very question. Are these matters dogmatic? Um, right. You know, there's, there's a difference between uh, being obligated not to do evil and doing good in a variety of different ways. And I'm saying mm-hmm. that the free market is the how. Uh, how do you go right. about this? And I base this on prudential judgment. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. It wouldn't affect my faith one way or the other. It, it affects the way I go about helping the poor. And I think the normative way to help the poor is to have businesses. That's the way people rise out of poverty. Charity is not the model of institutional amelioration of poverty. It, charity has never gotten a nation out of poverty. Uh, business gets people out of poverty. Now, that's not sexy, and that's not romantic, and that's not poetic, but that's the fact. And I think people would rather be able to eat than to enjoy the poetry that some of these um, uh, semi-socialists indulge in. 
and I think that, and by the way, I was told on a, a Facebook page today on Catholic social teaching that, you know, when, when questioning the cutting of, of uh, meals on wheels at the federal level, because I said it might do more harm than good. And they said, wow, that's that not caring for the, the, the destitute and, and at risk kids is uh, harmful. He says, you get it. You, sir, get an F. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but uh, I think, do you think it's because people conflate? the understanding between civil society and government? Yeah, That's what you know, I usually come down to. It's very frustrating. I think it's worth engaging that question. When, when I'm in favor of cutting welfare programs or cutting meals, meals on Wheels programs or anything, anything like that, I'm not against those things. I engage in them on a regular basis. Probably right. more than a lot of the people who are criticizing me about it you know, because I'm in a parish, you know, and we do this. It's that I'm saying that's not the best way uh, to to help people through government bureaucracies. Besides which, these, these cuts are federal cuts. It doesn't mean that the governors can't reallocate the money and say, this is the priority in our state. Or I'd like to see it where people on the local level in, in, in uh, municipalities and cities say, this is, this is the priority in our city. You know, every city isn't the same. And we have to push these decisions down to local levels so that people can be more intelligent and more um, knowledgeable when they make these decisions. To think that there's some kind of inherent virtue and knowledge that federal bureaucrats have about the needs of my community in Grand Rapids is absurd. And it, it is not a matter of not caring for people. I, I give you an A. Not an F. <laughs> well, see, thank you. See, I'm feeling so much better. See, this is like confession, isn't it? <laughs> we're, we're already up against our first break, Father, and we want to remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Ron or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. If you're listening live and you do have a question for Father Sirico, please hashtag asktsoe right now, and I will monitor that during our break. And if Appropriate, we will bring that up. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Father Robert Sirico and Father, your movie, Poverty, Inc., that the Acton Institute put out, i it's a work of art. I absolutely loved it. I've watched it twice now, and it, it's just an incredible message. I congratulate you for making Thank such you. a great movie. <laughs> um, you know, it starts out by the person saying, quotes Machiavelli, and he said, the reason there will be no change is because the people who stand to lose from change have all the power, and the people who stand to gain from change have no power. Yes. Why, why does that describe the quote-unquote global aid system today? Well, because, you know, and as, as you walk through Poverty, Inc., what you see is this interlinked network of what is effectively an industry of government bureaucrats, big business, international businesses, uh, and the entertainment industry, all of the do-gooders, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, who are in this interlocking network of people who can control uh, both entrance to and exit from markets. They can provide goods and services at virtually no cost to one people uh, and charge them to another people. And so it blocks the ability of people on the local level, uh, in the movie we, we concentrate on several you know, areas, industries, uh, textiles and uh, uh, rice production, uh, from being able to compete on the basis of their abilities because they're undercut at every turn, both um, you know, internationally and domestically within their own countries by, by law, uh, by regulations. Right. And, and like they say, and I want to ask you about this, too, it's hard to compete with free. So right. if a local cobbler is trying to sell shoes and Tom Shoes comes in, gives everybody free pair, well, then how do you, how do you grow businesses and markets by doing that? Well, I, I, I was even hesitant to bring this up, Father, but one of the things that came through my mind just watching this movie is, I know it's a cliche, but that doesn't mean it's not profound. Literally, the road to purgatory is paved with good intentions. Yeah. yeah. And well, that, the road to that's hell, what, isn't it? <laughs> y- yes, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but yeah. I, you know, I, was, I was reminded of Peggy Noonan when she asked Ronald Reagan for the first time. She goes, you know, President Reagan, what's the problem with socialism? And, you know, he said, well, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, <laughs> this, this aid, this whole infrastructure, yeah. it it. It doesn't work, and we it, know this now. It works now. for some people. It works for some people. That yeah, you know, that's a it great... works for the politicians. It works for the NGOs. It works for the entertainers. It works for uh, the bureaucrats and uh, the government. It even works for big business. You know, when when uh, rice produces in the United States, get the government, the, the United States government, to buy their produce and then dump it 
on other markets. It works for those people, and those are the people with the power. See, that's the thing. It doesn't work for the poor. In whose name it's being sold to us. Right. You know, and that's, that's really the frustrating thing about it. It's... You know, you when you were last on the show, you told us that this movie was going to take on the, <laughs> the celebrities and the actors and the entertainers, yeah. uh, and it does. I mean, one of the things I love is you you take on that song, that Band Aid song from <laughs> 1984, almost right at the start the of the movie. Song. Yeah, the Christmas song, which, by the way, I have to admit, I love. But mm-hmm. I've always dreamed of being able to run that song and then run a pile of facts right next to it. Right. <laughs> And and that's what you guys did. And yep. it, it seems like, you know, they're talking about Africa as if it's desolate and nothing grows. I mean, this is one of the most resource-rich yeah. areas in the world in terms of diamonds and coal and The woman gold we interviewed and- there, Magat Wade, it's incredible how she takes that song apart. <laughs> it, I loved it. I loved it. She and, and 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 Bono sitting there talking about how great it is that other other musicians are remixing it and putting it out every year, and it just keeps that idea perpetuated. Yeah, yeah and I it, just it's very dangerous. You know, we um, asked both Tom Shoes and um, Bono to be in the the documentary, and they declined. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards. Um, Bono's office contacted us and said, you know, we're not in disagreement on everything, Um, which I thought was interesting because as we were finishing the movie and it was really kind of edited and stuff, that's when Bono was coming out and saying, you know, we need free markets and and the things that we show him saying in the movie. But it's a massive contradiction because there's so much social pressure to... um, uh, conform to this uh, ideology that if you you stand up against it, um, you know, you run out of business and and it doesn't matter, you know, how big you are. Uh, So I I can only imagine that that's the pressure on a lot of these people. It's very unfashionable to say what we're saying in this. Very much so, but, you know, like you say, the truth is important and I, I loved how the movie also documents uh, Bill Clinton testifying before, I, I believe, the Senate, uh, talking about how he was wrong in Haiti right. about pushing, giving away rice and selling rice to, to these poor countries, thinking, oh, we'll help them skip the, the agricultural revolution and go right to the industrial revolution. Well, all you do is you put the local farmers out of business. And Clinton admitting that air was, I thought, pretty big. Yeah, uh, 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 actually, he did that twice, and we, for timing's sake, we just used one of the quotes. But it's very clear that he saw the mistake of that. Yeah, I don't know that that affected any other decisions that he made down the line. (laughs) I mean, uh, taking on the agricultural subsidies, I mean, the fact that we won't let these countries sell into our markets because we protect our local farmers, and, and that's what they really need, is they need access to trade and access to markets. They don't need relief and charity. They, they need access to markets and exchange. Exactly. I mean, and, and isn't that what uh, is truly respectful? Rather than yes. just seeing people who are poor, you know, who don't have access to um, to circles of exchange, isn't it respectful to see them as the agents of their own betterment rather than yourself 
as the agent of their betterment. Uh, Maimonides, a great medieval rabbi, uh, said that um, he had this um, ladder of uh, charity, and he said the highest level of it was to render a person a position where they no longer needed your charity. Right. You know, and I think that's what we're trying to think of this thing soberly. Think of this thing in realistic terms and not just in sentimental terms because it, it's so easy to think of this in sentimental terms. And I think that is what is really disrespectful to the poor. I agree. It doesn't give them dignity. And, and one of the things that I agree with, in fact, all the papal encyclicals I've read, whether it's John Paul or this recent pope, they all talk about the dignity of work. And, and that comes through in some of the profiles in the movie that I'm thinking of that one woman who, you know, went from living in a tent to buying her own two-room two house. I mean, here was a woman who, that was incredible. And that's the kind of thing that will lift people out of poverty. I just, it, it's so frustrating because I've got this axiom that the only antidote to poverty is wealth. That's it. And, <laughs> and, and I never hear Bono talk about creating wealth. I, it, you, when we talk about wealth, it's this bad, evil thing, and, and yet that's the only known antidote. Uh, that's exactly it, and it's very frustrating to hear people decry hunger and then at the same time decry um, international food production. <laughs> how, do you, right. how do you think people are going to be able to satiate their hunger if they don't have access to food and food that is accessible and affordable, uh, and, um, you know, that they can participate in the creation of. Right. Part of this tapestry of this of this poverty industry is are the NGOs. And the movie recites the statistic that just blew my mind. There are 10,000 NGOs in Haiti. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, and uh, you know, if you give something... To somebody for free, not only do you create uh, create dependence, but I also think you cross another very very thin line. You can create resentment as well. Well, isn't that the case? I mean, don't don't you see that? I I think everybody has seen that in their families and personal you know personal relationships. But we've certainly seen it in the welfare system. Uh, and now we're seeing it in this internationalized welfare system. The, the question before us is not, should something be done on behalf of those who are vulnerable? The question is, what should be done? And surely we're civilized enough to be able to have that uh, open debate, you know, in an honest way if we're really concerned about the poor. And like some of the people that you interview in the movie say, you know, nobody's talking about natural disaster relief in here. I mean, that's what we do. We're very humanitarian. We run to the aid of others. Uh, but, but like she said, when they stay here for 40 years, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. You know, even, even the founders of the welfare state <laughs> never thought uh, that it was supposed to be permanent. It was supposed to be a temporary thing for those on the margins who needed an extra hand. But now it's become not only permanent, but dominant. So that in people's mentality, as you know, Ed and I discussed a little earlier, when you say you're against this 
program for, let's say, wheel, Meals on Wheels, it means you hate the elderly. You want to see them starve. And it, it's just absurd. It's frustrating that we can't have a conversation that gets us beyond this. But it, it is really, I mean, an intimidating thought. When you look at the reality of the thing, um, you know, if I could just tell you this, Poverty, Inc., in a way, came out of an experience that I had, which I relate in, in my book. When I was in seminary and we went to a, um, I used to have to work on Fridays at a soup kitchen, and we were working in this soup kitchen, and then um, one day we went to a fish and chips place because we, we were all done, and, and they were serving meat, and it was a Friday and Lent, just like now, uh, and we went to this fish and chips place, which was right next door in the inner city in, in Acostia in Anacostia in Washington D C. And um, while I was sitting there, I said to my seminarian classmate, I said, Do you know what just hit me? He said, What? I said, We are this guy's competitor. Here's this guy running a little fish and chip shop with his wife and his daughter. I said, We're running a restaurant down the street. He said, No, we're not. I said, Yeah, we are we're giving people an alternative. Rather than spend their $4 in here, they can come and eat with us for free, and we don't have any overhead. We don't have insurance. We don't have rent. We don't have electricity. We don't even have to pay for the produce that we put out. That's donated. I said, so we're, and he said, that's crazy that you should think like that. I said, it is crazy, isn't it? I said, but it's true. Yes. It's just so counterintuitive. And it, I think it that's is. what we need to do. We need to make this case. It's hard to sell something when somebody else is giving it away for free. Well, sure. Father, this is fantastic, and I want to come back and ask you about some other uh, uh, legs in this pillar of the Poverty, Inc. structure. Uh, in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Father Robert Sirico talking about the new movie, Poverty, Inc. And Father, in the movie, another thing that you take on uh, that the movie discusses is the concept of foreign aid, also known as official development assistance. And you give the history of it. it it's outgrowth of post-World War II. Bretton Woods set up the IMF and the World Bank. And, of course, we had the Marshall Plan. Um, also, by the way, I did not realize that the Catholic relief charities were 70% funded by the government. I didn't realize that. I think it's it actually that. higher than that. Wow. Wow. Yep. Which I, I commend you for, for you know, taking that on or even reporting that. Um, but there in, within this foreign aid thing um, topic, I, I noticed that one, some, some, one of the interviewers is quoted as saying, not one country in the history of the world has ever developed because of aid. Name, name one. Name one, yeah. yeah. And in fact, uh, somebody else said that at a TED Talk, and I think Bono tried to heckle him. Yes. And, and I, I didn't hear who, the country that Bono named. I think thought he said Ireland, but that's not right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's true. So we can have all this aid, but it doesn't help people escape poverty in the long run. No, you know, and, and that's what we have to. I, I think the the success of this film, which, by the way, if people are wondering where to get it, it's on Netflix. Oh, mm-hmm. anybody who has Netflix, can, you can watch it, or or um, Amazon. Of course, it's on Amazon. But I think the secret of this has been that we did not express these ideas in political language or political categories. We just wanted to let people speak for themselves, look at the experience of people in these developing countries, the people at the most local level, and let them speak for themselves. And I think that's why this Poverty, Inc. has won awards from uh, Michael Moore. He listed it as the, one of the top 20 films of the year for his uh, Traverse City uh, Film Festival. Uh, all the way to the Anthem Film Festival, which is a libertarian film festival, where we won awards above uh, over Atlas Shrugged and uh, uh, Dinesh D'Souza's America, one of those, uh, and everything in between. I mean, it's, it has. I think it's been shown 14 times on Harvard's campus. Over half of those times, it's been sponsored by the African Student Union. Wow. At Harvard University. So it That's just great. gives you the idea of how we set out to to transcend the usual vocabulary, the usual categories. And and it's very human because you you talk to real people there on the ground in their little businesses or whatever it might be, and they're it just it's very authentic, and that's got to be really powerful. Yeah, it's just undeniable. You know, it's common sense. It's you, as you hear these people's stories, you can just sense. Yeah, this is that makes perfect sense. Of course. Right, and the other area that you take on another leg to this stool of the of the poverty enterprise are the social entrepreneurs. I, you know, nobody talks about charity anymore because that's just unhip. In fact, I think in the movie you say the rich get hipper uh, because now they're all social entrepreneurs, right. um, and 
one of the areas you focus on is Tom's shoes, where you know you buy a pair of shoes and then a pair of shoes goes to the to a poor country, and again, all that does is displace the local cobbler. Right. Um, and and then somebody says in the movie, does does the founder of Tom's shoes really want people in Haiti or Africa to have no shoes for the rest of their lives so he can supply them? Right. It, right. <laughs> and you know, uh, to be fair with Tom's shoes, they they began that way and they recognize this. So what they're trying to do is within their model is employ people there so that they're they're producing shoes right there in those companies. I don't think ultimately they get the whole point because they're caught right. up in that perspective. Uh, and that's why Bono, as I said earlier, is trying to back off of this development model. And he said, now we're all into free enterprise. It's It's a globalized market model. But again, they're not consistent across the board. There's just something so politically incorrect about this notion that I think we still have to keep um, pushing it. Right. What, one of the things the movie points out, and I love this too, is, is outfits like Tom's Shoes. That, that's Obviously, it's innovative, and there's other programs like One, and there's other similar programs. But if you're doing the wrong thing more efficiently, <laughs> you're just <laughs> making things worse. You know, there, I, I wish I could quote it exactly as he wrote it, but Bonhoeffer, the great uh, German martyr, uh, a great theologian, uh, said if it doesn't help that you're running backwards on a train that's racing to the wrong destination. <laughs> Something like that. He said it more poetically than that, but it gives you the image. The other thing, Father, that really opened my eyes was when the movie talked about the concept of adoptions. Now, it focused mm -hmm. on Haiti for this one example, but it said 80% of the orphans have have at least one parent. Are not orphans. And, yeah, and and yeah. this this woman says, I thought about the injustice of me and my husband spending $20,000 to adopt a child that, that that's wanted by its mother. Right. And, right. and and how the orphanage is a you know coveted position in society because it provides education and food and shelter and all these things. It's like this isn't helping anybody. Right. <laughs> and and what that woman did uh, was begin businesses for these women, begin a business with these women so they could keep their kids. Because all of those right. kids, when you look at that the beautiful footage of them making the jewelry, uh, every one of those people have kids. And those are all those kids are not in orphanages now. They're, they're with their parents or their parent uh, in their homes. It's very moving. And uh, again, it's so real. Right. And and then the other thing the movie talks about is credit, having uh, being able to access credit. And I think it, uh, you interviewed Muhammad Yunus, yes. um, the microfinance creator. And you, you know, it, the other thing about that is, yeah, it's one thing to give credit to a small, you know, stall operator or something. And and of course, the big end of town can get loans from banks. But that missing middle in these poor countries, those people can't get credit. And I've been reading for the last five years or so that economists are, you know, basically saying microfinance has been a big failure, or it hasn't at least generated as much as we thought it would. Is yeah. is that your take on it too? Yeah, it, it it you know it's it's great for the first rung of the ladder, but you know if you can just leave everybody on that first rung of the ladder, that's not where you want to go. You want to go to a more macro credit, you know, a, a larger access to credit. In order to achieve that, 
you know, that's the interview with Hernando de Soto. You right. have to examine the mystery of capital. That is land ownership, private ownership, being able to borrow against your property. These things in most of the developing world, these institutions, uh, don't, don't exist. And that's right. what's needed if you're really talking about a permanent uh, infrastructure, a change of the institutions. That's what's needed, a, a greater emphasis on the rule of law, a greater emphasis on the right to private property contract. I mean, not just the appearance of owning property, but the actual ability to own it. When they have these agrarian reforms very often that you hear about in the developing world, it only means that the title is granted to a person, but not the right of that person to then sell that property at some point when it appreciates. Right. And and or to borrow against it, which is another form of it, in order to increase their, uh, you know, their income or increase their wealth. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I love how you went and got Hernando de Soto. I love his his book, The Mystery of Capital, is amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I do have a theological question for you. I think it's a sure. theological question. Uh, as you know, we've interviewed Rabbi Lappin, and yeah. in Rabbi Lappin's most recent book, Business Secrets of the Bible, he wrote something that I think is incredibly provocative. He says, the opposite of wealth is evil. And now he flushes this out a little bit. He says, if wealth is not being created, then evil is being done. And (laughs) that thought came to my mind watching this movie as well. And I don't know if you agree with that. I I guess I'll first ask you, do you agree with that? I would would qualify that. I would say certainly... If wealth is not created, uh, it could be that an evil is being done, a moral evil. But mm-hmm. it also can be um, a non-good, that something bad in a, um, if I can say it in a morally neutral way. In other words, in a way that people aren't culpable. For instance, um, would you say that an evil has taken place if a child is hit by a car? Well, I think we would all say yes, an evil has happened. But then if you look beneath that, you can say, well, if it is the result of a drunk driver, then that's a moral culpability. But if it's the result that the kid just ran out and the car hit the kid, it's still an evil that's happened, but nobody's culpable for that. So in that sense, I would make a distinction or or nuance the word evil. Yes, if somebody has... um, suffered a, a loss, which is, by the way, the opposite of profit, then something's gone wrong. Something bad has happened. Now, that may be because the person um, has squandered the um, investment uh, for, for you know, a variety of immoral reasons, or maybe because they didn't plan well enough. They, they weren't competitive enough. They didn't have enough knowledge or strategy or timing. And that may not be morally culpable. It may be unfortunate, but not morally culpable. So I, I draw that distinction there. Sure, sure. I thought about... To, to talk to Rabbi Lappin about that. I, I suspect <laughs> that he'd agree with me. We're, by we the way, threat- known when we're seen together in Washington, D.C., somebody came up to us and said, who, who are you guys? And Rabbi Lappin, in his inimitable style, said, we are the Judeo-Christian tradition. <laughs> Ed and I keep threatening to have you both on the show so we can just sit back fun. and listen to you. It'd be great. But uh, <laughs> great. well, South Africa. Yeah, I, <laughs> but 
it did it did make me think though i mean i'm not sure if i agree with this either but the opposite of wealth is evil it, it just it does, does does make me think about the movie and and how we need to be focusing on on creating wealth and and using that language even and i don't hear the celebrities or some of these development economists talk about that but unfortunately father we're up against our our last break and folks if you want to get a hold of me or ed you can do so at ask tsoe at verisage.com we will post full show notes with our interview uh, with father sirico and links to the acting institute and where you can find the movie Uh, i got it off itunes so you can get it there as well and now we want to hear from our sponsor sage Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise father robert sirico is the author of defending the free market a moral case for the free free economy he is also the president of the Acton Institute, which produced the movie Poverty, Inc. that he and Ron were just talking about. Uh, I, I encourage everyone to buy it so that not just watch it for free, but buy it so that Acton Institute can get some some money for that. So I'd, <laughs> a little plug for for the Acton Institute there. Um, well, how greedy that is. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. But I, and I said the same thing to Ron. I said, Ron, you can get it for free, but buy it. So <laughs> Good. Did he? Uh, I did. I, I did. See? Good. I can feed my dog tonight then. There you go. <laughs> when you were last on, we, you mentioned that you were considering writing a, a book on economics and the parables of our Lord. And I, I wonder if that's if that's come along. But one that I wanted to just ask you about, um, because I often quote this when when I'm I'm confronted with someone who is giving me a hard time about either Catholic social teaching or you know why why I would be a libertarian um, is from from uh, Luke chapter twelve. This is kind of the preamble to the parable of the the rich fool, 
And it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide my family inheritance with me. But he said to them, friend, who set me to be judge or arbiter over you? Yeah. And I always use that as a, as a well, you know, <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, listen, it's, it's sort of a render unto Caesars in a, in a sense, right? But it's also this, I don't, I don't know what would be fair. That's, uh, you, you, you need to decide that. Yeah, but that's uh, as you said that I thought to myself that's where the Pope got that who am I to judge remark. Yeah, <laughs> uh, now I understand. <laughs> um, the the book on the parables is uh, I have the draft of it and I keep putting it off because I want to make it. What I don't want to do is use the scripture. What they call it, you've heard of exegesis when you read something and pull the meaning out of it, and then there's right. eisegesis when you put the meaning into it. And I don't want to eisegete the parables. I think they they have too much profundity. And the parables are not economic points, but they have a lot of economic assumptions. And that's what I want to make very clear. So um, uh, hopefully maybe by the end of the summer I'll have the draft done and then send it out to a few scholars and maybe by next year we'll have it out but it's it's done it's just that i procrastinate because i'm running a parish and the institute and have columns and speaking engagements and all of this kind of stuff <laughs> you've got other stuff to do i, I do totally I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that I, I wanted to ask you about, and this has been a subject that Ron and I have talked about on a number of shows, as, as well as just personally, is the, the difference between empathy and compassion hmm. and how we think that this gets mixed up in the world today. This notion that we need to be empathetic, empathetic, you know, the Bill Clinton, I feel your pain, you know, yeah. and where, whereas that, that, that actually to me is a problem, right? If somebody is feeling somebody else's pain, well, then you have two people in pain and nobody's solving the problem. Whereas if you if you have compassion, right, which is a very ancient word, empathy only goes back to the 1920s in, in Germany, which you can see where that got us. But the compassion is this ancient principle. And I think we it's really started this this notion of compassion rather than empathy. It, it might it, it's going to it changes the language that could change the culture. What, how are you defining empathy? Um, empathy as feeling other what, what somebody else feels. Right, I, I actually feel somebody else's pain. That like when they're in pain, of I course, feel... means to suffer with a person. Right. So, I I sense that empathy is a little more removed than compassion. Compassion seems to me more involved, and I do think it is legitimate to suffer with someone uh, when a person is in grief. The thing they need to know is that you are with them in that space. And similarly with poverty, it's not just doing things or giving things to people, but it's suffering with them. It's, it's laboring with them. Whereas empathy seems somehow more sterile, more, more distant. Did you say the etymology of it is German? Yes, it is. It, it came, comes from... Um uh, I forget which which German uh, psychiatrist. It wasn't Freud, but one of one of that in that school. That's interesting. Um, I haven't done a study on empathy. Uh, compassion is compassio, to suffer right. with. Right. Right. 
Yeah, but the, again, the, the the notion of empathy, the thing that I always go back to, I've told the story numerous times, is there was an interview with Katie Couric and, and Chesley Sullenberger, the, the guy who landed the plane in the Hudson. Yes. And it, she she asked him, uh, 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 Captain Sullenberger, did, did you pray? And he said, no, ma'am. There were 150 people behind me taking care of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I hadn't heard that. That is a great, how honest. <laughs> right, oh, but he was he was not empathetic, right? Because his job was, as he puts it, to successfully crash the aircraft, right? That's, that's what right. he had to do. That's <laughs> right. he, he had to, that's that old quote that I'm always using from a French philosopher. Piety is never a substitute for technique. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so I think that's it. The other word that I wanted to ask you about, and, and you know, we, we only have about uh, three minutes left here before the end of the show. Um, and so a word you don't hear much about talked about talked about much anymore, especially in Washington, and that is the word maturity. Mm. right And you know I, I think that that's one of the things that seems to be missing from the, the conversation Washington. and the yeah, and the dialogue today. it's and it's both sides of the aisle. I'm not looking to pin this oh, on, yes, on yes. any you know so I wonder if you might address that. Do you think that there's something there that we, we need to bring back this concept of maturity? You know, maturity has so many facets to it, of course, just by its nature, because it, it speaks about something that is resonant, something that has various notes. When you speak about a mature wine, you speak about the various notes of the wine or a mature poem or, uh, you know, a bit of food. Uh, and I, I think the the opposite of maturity, of course, is what adolescence or immaturity, and that's mm-hmm. just kind of bumping up above the surface of things rather than getting down. And so maturity has some virtues associated with it because it's more subtle, it involves delaying gratification, it, it, it involves humility, that you don't always have to be recognized, you don't always have to speak um, to be the dominant one in a conversation. Uh, it, it has a certain resonance of... Um, Security of assurance. You know, I, I think of that when I think of maturity. Um, and uh, no wonder, you know, Washington has become kind of the flip side of Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood is concerned about the surface of things, you know. The, the big, beautiful mansion on a Hollywood set doesn't have plumbing. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really have a kitchen. Mm-hmm. doesn't really have a right. fireplace. You know, and, and Washington's becoming more and more that way. Yeah, yeah. so very true. Hollywood for Last- ugly people. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're trying to beautify themselves. At least some of them are. <laughs> right. Last question, Father, and we and we only got thirty seconds. And of course, um, this is not really fair because I this is could be another show. Uh, this and this did come in from from a listener. What are your thoughts on sanctuary cities? Uh, you know, if what is meant by that is a legal obfuscation of the law, then I don't think that's helpful. I mean, we we always had that the notion of sanctuary uh, is the church, and I I would say let the church do it. Let people come and literally physically be resident in the church and let the church take care of people who are really in need. And then people get to know one another and they know whether this guy is, is just working the system or, or not. No, I, I, I think uh, sanctuary cities, 
cities is another politically correct, you know, uh, approach uh, that, that doesn't really solve the problem, that just kind of postures. Great, great. Thank you so much, Father. We really appreciate you being Good on the show, and guys. we Thank will definitely so have you back. Good All right. Father. What do we got coming up next week, Ron? Next week, we're going to talk about strategies for dealing with requests for proposals, Ed. Outstanding. A little bit different than this week. But anyway, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.